20-somethings who are either married or in committed relationships who say their unions are more secure and more honest because they don't believe in monogamy. I just took off my clothes and I had to do it. Talking about swinging, or as it's known now, living in the lifestyle. We're going to have to give you some monogamy. Technically, an orgy requires a minimum of six participants. This is a new generation of swingers. Babes are coming at you on Friday, Saturday, by Sunday, your nuts gonna be drained. Oh. 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 Welcome to Swinging Around, the sex positive podcast about swinging and sex. This is episode 21, talking about Tristan Terramino's opening up. And I'm Cal. I'm JB. So for this episode, we read the book uh, called Opening Up, and then the subtitle is A Guide to Creating and Sustaining Open Relationships, and it's by Tristan Terramino. And we're not going to have any lifestyle chat today. We're just going to jump right in because this is potentially might be a little bit longer of an episode anyway, just because we're going to be covering her book. And it's a really good book, so we'll potentially get get into some depth and go a little long. So, but yeah, it's... By Tristan Terramino. She's a sex educator, porn producer, author, and overall sex positive individual out there. She really gets a good message out. Yep. And... Yeah, I mean, the, in, in the introduction of the book, uh, she starts off saying, My life's work for more than a decade has been dedicated to educating and empowering people around their sexuality. I write about sex, I teach workshops, and lecture about sex, I answer people's questions about sex. I demonstrate techniques for sex, I make sex-positive movies, and I produce sex events. So I think that pretty much sums up her credentials as sort of a sexpert. Yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. And we actually just yesterday purchased some of her educational porn because we hadn't, it's it's a genre of porn that we haven't delved into, and so you were on uh, the internet yesterday looking up some hot titles. Why don't you go through some of the titles that she had, and then... I forget which one we ended up even getting. But... Yeah, there's... Oh, and by educational porn, well, you were one looking up. Why don't you describe what it, what it is? Yeah, and... so so their, their DVD is essentially called Tristan Terramino's Expert Guide 2. And then there's an expert guide to uh, anal play for women. There's one that's an anal play for men. There's one that's dedicated to um, erotic sex for couples. Um there's there's all kinds of things. I believe there's a BDSM one. There there you know just various topics that are sex related. And when I was looking into the description about what each of these sexpert guides were about, it's essentially um, some instructional discussion about the topic at hand. Um, it, you know, either Tristan Terramino explaining something on her own or explaining something with um, porn stars with her, and then it will be followed up by an actual like sex scene. So and, and the reviews for these these videos have been incredibly good actually. On the one particular website I was looking at, uh, there's nothing but positive feedback about the instructional portion and the sexual portion. So it seems like you can learn something, but then you can also get off to it as well. Yeah, and so it's a genre of porn that we just haven't delved into, and you can learn some things and get turned on and get hot at the same time. Yeah, so we'll have to check it out. Um, we are not affiliated with Tristan Terramino at all. Never never spoken to her, never talked to her. So this is just our personal opinion. We're not uh, pushing any kind of agenda. Yeah, no, just trying to educate ourselves to see what's out there and, you know, get get ourselves a little bit more 
sexucated. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Good pun. So which one? We got the the anal guide for men, right? Yep. Is that what we got? Yeah. So yep. it's it's heterosexual play with men, right? Or it's not. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and it's because it's, <laughs> you were the one that ordered it, so I didn't know if it using, was using using butt plugs. Um, it's it's G spot penetration. I believe there's also some instructional video for pegging, although pegging has its own video, mm-hmm. um, its own separate uh, sexual expert guide. So I I don't think there's much time dedicated to that. Each one of these, it looked like they come with either three or four different primary topics and segments. Like when I was looking at the one that's uh, erotic sex for couples. Um, there's a segment dedicated to initially starting to use toys and introduce toys in the bedroom. There was uh, a section dedicated to having the man uh, dominate the woman. There was a section dedicated to the woman dominating the man. And I believe there's a section dedicated to early anal play. And then, of course, like I mentioned, there's other uh, anal guides as well. Okay. So it is the the actual scenes themselves are a guy and a girl, though? I believe so. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm actually would... not even sure. I didn't look into it that much because honestly, it doesn't bother me. But I mean, you'll like it if it's gay porn. I, I think it is so. heterosexual uh, uh, oriented, but I'm, I'm actually not sure. I kind of hope so. I mean, we'll, yeah. I kind of want to get to where I'm a little more comfortable with things, or just right. we're just learning about. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like three or four segments, and maybe the majority are hetero and one is homo. I'm not sure. So we'll, have well, to we'll see. Wait we'll see. see. And we'll be talking about that in a later episode once we get it and have time to play around and mm-hmm. learn some things and review it. So, yeah. So back to the book. When did the book come out? So the book was, um, let's see, it looks like it was originally published in 2008. And is this like, so there are there any, we have a first edition or there have there been multiple printings of it or? Um, no, it looks like we have the first edition, although it does say that there are some parts of Chapter 18 um, that are first appeared in the Ultimate Guide to Anal Sex for Women. And what's and Chapter 18? That's a later chapter, case, so that's... Uh, yeah, Chapter 18 is all about safe sex and okay. sexual health. So it seems that some some parts of that safe sex material were, were published with respect to anal sex as well in, so in a different volume. Let's talk a little bit before we dive into the book about how we decided to go about getting this book and deciding that we wanted to read it because because we knew that we wanted to find to get some kind of a, a sex book that we could read and educate ourselves and, and also talk about on the show. Yeah. And so if I remember, this is actually a couple of months ago now, but we were looking, I think one of the top ones we were initially looking at was The Ethical Slut. Yep, we looked at that and we were, we were looking at two different genre of books. We were looking for something that was about uh, the lifestyle about swinging or about non-monogamy in general and sort of how to get into it or just more about it in, in, in maybe an in-depth review of non-monogamy, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then we're also looking at the science side of things, the the sexual science, either about sex in general or non-monogamy in general and, and how they relate, like a behavioral science kind of thing. So we're looking at both of those realms. We have yet to identify the, uh, a book that we want to read yet on the science. I mean, there's there's tons of them out there, and there were several that were interesting. So I I know we'll end up identifying a, a few that we actually want to read. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to that. So, but opening up is not one of those books. That's more that is pretty much uh, completely uh, non-science, socially related. And oh yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think we ended up settling on opening up just because it it was the broadest. And, and most well reviewed, I believe. So and, it, it it covers not just swinging, but it's just it's non monogamy in general. 
And when we went through the table of contents, it covers uh, all different types of non-monogamy, but then it also covers issues related to non-monogamy, how to get into it once yeah. you're into it, how to how to live that lifestyle. Raising kids, legal issues that are that come up with mm-hmm. various styles of non-monogamy. And so, yeah, I, I have to give props. I always love that Amazon lets you usually preview the first couple pages of a book because that gets you far enough in where you can check out the table of contents. Yeah, to me that's important to be able to see what chapters you're you're getting into yeah it's, more so than page count and basic description i want to see what what are the chapters what's the meat of this yeah book? that was i mean that's how i think we finally decided between the ethical slut and this one because the ethical slut opening up is we we've heard about opening up before from from other uh resources and we've heard about the ethical slut as well those are a couple of the books that are talked about and the ethical slut seem to be really poly oriented and i can't remember the um the table of contents but i just remember opening up was the one that just seemed the most interesting mm-hmm. we'll, maybe we'll get to the well we probably, we'll probably will get... end up reading ethical slot at some point too we just yeah for, for our first book discussion on the lifestyle we, we thought opening up would be a good way to go mm-hmm. and and also what's nice about opening up is the back portion of the book is a resource guide it actually has recommendations for several other books that were used as re- resources in writing this book so you know, there, there's several different books in here that I'm interested in. There's one called uh, Beyond Monogamy that that sounded really interesting to me, and, and so this might also push us in other directions that way too. Actual, actually, Ethical Slut is referenced in this book. So. Yeah, yeah, she does talk about the Ethical Slut. Tristan Ch- Chermino does reference the Ethical Slut in this book, yeah. and yeah, and they're, that they're... book came out in 1998, by the way. Okay, and then and you, you're right. The uh, resources in this book are really good at the back, like you said. The last what is it, the last 30 pages or so are a great resource guide on, on a lot of different, from recommended books Yeah, it's to, actually about 50 pages. About 50 pages, and there's recommended books to further to further further reading about non-monogamy. Also, um... Lists of clubs. Lists of clubs, lists of groups and organizations, and local, regional, and international organizations and communities to get involved with. I do have to say, and this was going to be what I... T- I was going to mention this later, talk about the resource guide, but we might as well talk about it now, that mm-hmm. it's really good. I do say that it's the um, the resources in the communities are a little poly-centric. Uh, yes. They're more... Absolutely. Most of the listservs and, and online communities are for polyamorous individuals and polyamorous communities, not so much swinging communities. I would have, mm-hmm. I was looking to see if any of the places that we're familiar with for swinging were on there, but nothing, all the resources seem to be geared towards poly. So that was a little bit of a, a bummer, but that, that the it, book does spend more time discussing polyamory and polyphility than swinging. So. Yeah. So that's, that is, um, not really a criticism because I recognize a lot of the serious issues that need to be discussed are relevant more yeah. to poly individuals when it comes yep. to raising children. Especially the need for support groups. Yeah, raising children, just housing concerns, living together, triads, quads, all a lot of these different a lot of these different configurations are relevant to polyamory and mm-hmm. they really affect your life in a in a very significant way and there's whole chapters dedicated to to these sorts of just life issues that you have to deal with and uh it's it's easier to have that geared towards polyamory yeah i i think that the swinging community in general is its own support group in a way such that they the these other support groups haven't really needed to to be formed versus polyamory the community 
you know, it's you have your isolated group of three or four or five or however many people are in your polyamorous relationship, but maybe um, not the culture so much so as you have with swinging. Mm-hmm. So. so one thing that's really cool about the book is it's it's has it comes at the topics from a lot of different angles. It has um, there's there's personal accounts because she did um, interviews. She had a lot of she did a lot of interviews. She had mail-in interviews, and then she did a lot of a lot of interviews in person as well. Yeah, it looks with... like she surveyed uh, 126 different. 100, there were 126 respondents to her surveys. Yeah, um, and, and then... most of them were written questionnaires, and then she had follow-up interviews. Yeah, she did 38 follow-ups in person, and then email and telephone as well. And so at the end of you get throughout the chapters, you get personal a- anecdotes or how the the topic of the chapters. There's stories. Uh, real world stories that you know make it easy to understand the scenarios and just real real people's thoughts and opinions mm-hmm. on what she's discussing and then the end of every chapter always ends with a like a profile spotlight on a couple or a, a relationship or a um a group. A, a group so that's 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 pretty cool because you can be very clinical about all this and the book has that where it just lays out sort of things and goes through them then talks about you know the topics and points and counterpoints and very you can be very clinical but then you need once you get you know personal anecdotes and how these are actually affecting real uh, in, individuals how, how these issues are affecting them you know it and you, you can see how it relates to you and how it may not relate to you and then we'll we'll talk about this but part of the thing that was really interesting is just learning about Oh, lots, lots of different forms of non-monogamy that we don't mm-hmm. do because swinging is a form of non-monogamy, but it's, it's you know it's one of, school part of an, it is a one much of the... broader realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say one of the things that I liked about the book is that it was very easy to read. It wasn't it was it wasn't too technical with technical jargon. It wasn't trying to be complicated. It wasn't trying to be. Uh, just overly complex. It, it presented the facts straight, straight talk, straight to you, and then it would support those facts with the real world uh, situations from real people using direct quotes from real people. And I, I liked that quite a bit because it it supported itself with examples, as you said. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was it was a brisk read, but not to say that the content wasn't. It wasn't brisk in the sense that the content wasn't meaty or. It was just fluff pieces. It wasn't, but it was written the yeah. the author's writing style yep. as a way that just makes it a very easy flow. Mm-hmm. At the and... same time, I I wouldn't say that it's a real. It's not a deep read by any means. No, I, in in my head, no, because... I, I see it as like a a one a college one hundred one class, like a, a yes, a one hundred one. It's, it's non monogamy one hundred one because of the breadth of everything that it covers. It covers almost every aspect that you could think of from like like you said legal issues that you have, that you deal with coming out if whether or not to come out and issues related to that and child raising child I mean, raising it's, and it's, it's pretty much the a to z of being in some type of open relationship so because of that it doesn't have a lot of time to dedicate to to extreme detail but what it does go into detail in the sections that it, it takes more time on uh, I, I think it uh, it does a good job. So it, it definitely spends more time talking about the issues of mm-hmm. jealousy. Yeah, and, and you know those those sorts of things. The book definitely dedicates more time to. Although I mean, you could write an entire book about jealousy in and exactly. of itself, or you know, but but it does dedicate more time to the issues that are are 
needed. So the book is broken up into three sections, and the first section is because because the book really does we when we say it covers you know non monogamy from A to Z, it covers everything from to discussing whether or not it's a good choice for you and your relationship to be non monogamous and issues. Mm-hmm. So choosing and designing your open relationship is the bulk of the first section. And the second section is going through all the various different types of non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And then the bulk of the book in general is section three, which is creating and sustaining your relationships. Yep. And that's where all the, it's about a hundred almost 180 pages. Yeah. Of that's the th- of the 300 that's dedicated to content. So it's, it's more than half the book is about, you know, actually designing your relationship being in that relationship, how to guide, guide your way, navigate your way through that relationship. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I liked is that it it really does ease you in. I think the book was written... Well, well, that's part of what I want to discuss is who we think the book is specifically targeted at. But it's written to where you could not know anything about non-monogamy, have not, mm-hmm. not have practiced it. Or even if you have, come in and start right at the beginning. The book opens up with... Uh, chapter one goes through a brief history of non-monogamy mm-hmm. and where things started from. Swinging wives in World War II, for instance, is brought up, you know, for swinging. And then you go through a lot of the gay bathhouses. And so, so you get to, you get to learn a little bit about the history. And, you know, yeah. you could have, just like you mentioned, every chapter in here could pretty much be its own yeah. book, uh, and especially I, the the history of non-monogamy. Yeah, and what I, what I think is interesting about swinging in general is just that because swingers tend to be closed about being in a swinging community, I think it's really difficult to actually track down details about swinging history. And it's pretty evident when you're reading this book and when you even if you look for other books on swinging history, it's evident that it's a subculture that's been kind of hidden and it, it, it remains in the shadows so there's a lot of speculation as to when swinging started, how it started, that sort of thing, just because it's been so hush hush. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that's kind of cool. It's like you're being you're part of this secret club. It is, it is, and it's work. It's if kind you of actually, sexy too. It's work if you actually want to track down and discuss the history of of swinging, for instance, tracing it back. And that's one of the things we actually want to do is. You know, do our own research and see what kind yeah. of facts and and nice. what, take some time, what we can do, and so that that'll be that'll be kind of fun. Yeah. So, so getting back to your question about who do I think this book is targeted to, I think it's targeted to anybody who's interested in learning about non-monogamy and just being in relationships or having sexual sexual or intimate relationships with multiple people, and so that could be people who want to have that kind of relationship or people who have friends and family who are in that kind of relationship and want to understand it mm-hmm. it could be you know maybe adult children who have parents who are in open relationships it could be parents who have adult children who are in open relationships it could you know it could be any any number of people like that who are just interested in learning more about the community and the culture and then i also think it's it, it could be geared towards people who are maybe in swinging and are looking for other ways to define their relationship because it's not working for them mm-hmm. or people who are maybe in a, in a um, polyamorous relationship and looking for other ways to open up their relationship to, to new people and they're not quite sure how to do it. So I think it could be for people who, who are in some kind of non-monogamous relationship that they've defined, but they're, 
they need more variety and they're not sure about that variety. Cause that's one thing this book talks about a lot is just the different variety of relationships and their configurations that I would have never thought of. Mm-hmm. And in most cases I wouldn't have thought of them because it's not something that I desire, but just being knowledgeable of the other types of configurations, I think is, is important if you're going to be in non-monogamy. It's just to, to have an understanding of what else is out there. Yeah. Yeah. Termino herself describes the book as a roadmap a guidebook, and a manifesto. So the thing, I agree that it's for individuals who want to learn about non-monogamy, but it's also such a such a bulk of it is actually designing and trying to maintain and deal with issues that come up that, I don't know, you mentioned that, you know, it could be for children who have parents who are non-monogamous and trying well, to learn about when them. When I say children, I mean like adult children. No, I, and I agree, but I... No, and, yeah, I mean, I that's... um. Yeah, I, I recognize that that's what you were talking about. But what I'm thinking is that such the book is almost a how to, well, it's, it's not almost, it is kind of a how-to of how to do non-monogamy. And, and so it, I feel like it would be actually kind of boring if you weren't interested in pursuing non-monogamy. Just there, it, it, it gets, it digs down into the minutia too much that I think just somebody who's, who's trying to learn about what their parents go through, maybe, well, I, I actually don't think that 100% of people would read this book cover to cover like we did. I think there's it's it can be a pick and choose your own adventure in many cases. Um, like, for example, chapter two is all about myths about non-monogamy. And it, it goes through and walks through a, a bunch of different, different myths. Uh, like, open relationships are unnatural, abnormal, and immoral. Mm-hmm. And, you know... If, if you have that belief and your parents give this book to you and say, you know, read, read parts of this that can help you get over that. Yeah. I will. You know, you're right. You're right. So So I I think for, for some groups it can be a choose your own adventure. And for others, it's a riveting read from cover to cover. If you think about the book as a whole, then I don't think that it really works for those just trying to learn about what maybe their friends or their family who are non-monogamous are going through. But you're right. Like there are chapters, you know, it's here, read this chapter and maybe you'll learn Mm-hmm. Uh, you know some of these myths that aren't true and yeah that ch- chapter two is very brief but it is kind of cool she goes through just kind of lays out some of the myths that um some of the myths that there are about that that are out there about non-monogamy yeah and then some responses yeah so, i mean I, I wrote in my notes that chapter two would be um it's it's called myths about non-monogamy and i think that's a great chapter to give to people who might who you might have come out to who are struggling because it, it walks through a lot of the things that I think uh, a person would initially think about. Um, I, one of the myths is that uh, people in open relationships have intimacy, intimacy issues and troubles with commitment. And I think nothing can be farther from the truth. That's mm-hmm. And sitting down and trying to explain that in a conversation, I could see it getting incredibly emotional with somebody who's uh, thinks that you're wrong and thinks that you shouldn't be in an open relationship. And it might be easier to dispel some of that tension by saying you know what give this a read see if you agree with it or disagree with it but it, at least it'll help me get my point out there without you know being really emotional mm-hmm. one of the interesting things is i think the the different ways you actually mentioned this earlier is the different ways people will read this book you know some people will read it cover to cover and some people will pick and choose but i also think that so if i'm, I'm thinking about how you would approach this if if you would never if you and your partner are, or just you, have are considering non-monogamy, but you haven't done anything, let's say you've done zero research, picking up this book is the first thing you've ever done, mm-hmm. then I think it'll take you, you, 
it won't really help. blow your mind. Well, it'll blow your mind, but you also probably don't want to read the book cover to cover. I think what you'd probably want to do is, you know, go through section one, which is, you know, talking about an open relationship and various issues and myths. And mm-hmm. and then at that point, you need to sit down with your partner and go through things. And then I, I think, I think. Well, I mean, that, that leads right to chapter three. Which yeah. Is, it's, it's called, is an open relationship for you? And there's actually a questionnaire that's a self-evaluation that it it just gives you questions and things to think about. Things like, can you have sex without emotional attachment? Do you have sexual needs, desires, and fantasies that aren't being fulfilled? It does seem crazy to... What's what's your worst fear? I mean, there's a bunch of very introspective questions to go through in that first section. It does seem crazy to read this book, even up to chapter three, and not knowing if you want to be in a non-monogamous relationship i guess you'd be interested in it i it's it's just i would be fascinated to know somebody who had never been in a who's not currently in a non-monogamous relationship and are just thinking about it how they approach this book what they get out of it i think it would have been incredibly helpful when you and i were first deciding whether or not we wanted to end the swinging to be honest it's almost an because overload i, if I you... struggled a lot with just the term being non-monogamous i had had a hard time with that and thinking about it and and thinking do we need this do we why, why do we want to do this? And what am I comfortable with? And I, I think that those first couple of chapters would have helped. Now, had I continued to read the rest of the book, yeah, I think it would that's get what, that's what I'm saying, overwhelming. Is that you I need think to maybe you, you pick it up, need... read it, put it down for a while. Yeah, pick it up, you know, read the first couple of chapters, have discussions with your partner, mm-hmm. and then sort of move at a slower pace. That's what that's yeah. what the interesting thing. I think a non-monogamous person will get things out of this book, but I, and I, but I think a non-monogamous person or couple can pick this book up and read it cover to cover and be fine but i it's an it's somebody who's not non-monogamous currently or is writing those first steps where i think they would almost need to treat it more as a textbook Mm -hmm. instead of just to read like we read it i think you'd almost need to you know actually read it like a textbook and actually go through the exercise i mean there's exercises in it and and that's where you you might want to ignore chapters about legal issues. It doesn't pertain to you just yet. Mm-hmm. Ignore chapters about, well, I don't want to say ignore chapters about sexual health, but read them carefully, but don't let it scare you. You know, maybe initially decide to stay in the closet and so skip the part about raising kids and skip the part about uh, the legal issues and the, the coming out. You know, skip all those things that are scary because those are, those are almost like the advanced Mm-hmm. Not so much the sexual health that that's pertinent to everybody, but well, actually, it, it's funny because we're kind of skipping all over. We have we both have notes that we wrote down for, to go over, but and we're kind of skipping all over. But it's just a natural conversation. So um, I was going to talk about this later, but I I want to talk about uh, talk about the the sexual health chapter and the sexual health chapter is a later chapter. I think it's seventeen or eighteen. You, it's eighteen. Okay, yeah, because you mentioned it earlier mm-hmm. and. I want to talk about that chapter specifically for a moment because I think it's – that's a portion of the book that I think a portion of that chapter could be easily excised from the book. Not that the book's long already or sh- shortened and being a little bit more succinct because that chapter is kind of divided into two sections essentially. It's it's safer sex and sex barrier methods and talking mm-hmm. about condoms and female condoms and contraception. And I think all of that is fantastic. But then the the second the last two thirds of that chapter or the last half at least is going over all uh, all of the different well not all but a good bulk of the yeah. of the um 
STIs yeah. that are out there. And I think it goes into a little bit more detail in this book needs to because well, now I, I think you shift... it's in the spirit of being a 101, it open is. all, be all. But you shift into a, now you're reading a medical textbook, whereas it could be these are the these these are the sexual infections, and instead of having a page on each one, having a few lines and then referring you to a better resource, which she she doesn't steer away from other portions of the book. She, she steers you towards resources, and she has an entire portion at the end of the book that's that um you know she outlines mm-hmm. these are these are good reads for learning about this so yeah. I, I do think i well, wanted to talk about that i think that the 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 sti portion is it's good it's I, i'm it's fantastic to know about all the stis but i don't think you need to go into quite the detail and i mean I, i'm i don't know i'm kind of on the fence about that because some people may never get that information otherwise and it it does go through symptoms and the the rate of infection and i mean i think it's important to be aware of what the symptoms are for different types of stis especially given the vast number of there's a there's a large number of stis that are asymptomatic but can still cause problems so So, the issue is this book is kind of a how-to and in terms of how-to i think it's unnecessary especially if it's asymptomatic you well asymptomatic but not necessarily but not not harmful yeah i think the I mean, book they needs can be the, harmful the book needs to stress the barrier methods which it does and outline how to have safer sex and various very various methods that for that and then um outline the importance of testing but simply because this book is so much a um a, a how-to in terms of how you actually could modify your life how this directly affects you that switching and just trying to teach you about these STIs sort of takes the focus away. They, she could have got away. I think keeping some in about each of the each STI would be good. But but if she didn't do that, she could have just said that testing is essential, or you know, worded and you know, word it much more mm-hmm. eloquently than I am. But testing is essential, and these and sort of and outline the STIs, but not go into detail. I thought it kind of lost me in terms of in terms of not being boring then it turned it did turn very clinical and there's no it's a it's a large that's where the choose your own adventure piece of it comes in and you could choose to skip that if you wanted to yeah but we're reviewing the book as a whole if you were to honestly i think that information is important because you're not gonna seek it out on your own you're not gonna google chlamydia gonorrhea you know general awards you're not gonna do all those independent google searches and look it up on your own so it's nice to have that resource that's there and available and you know maybe you won't sit down and read it cover to cover but if you do come come down with something, you better believe you're going to WebMD it and maybe vaguely remember something that you'd read previously in that book or, yeah. you know, so it, but, I think it's useful because, you know, it's, it, it was a little bit of a scare tactic, I think, too, just to, to remind you of the importance of testing, but also just to remind you of what you probably hadn't learned or gone through since you were in high school health class. But let's just talk for a moment. So... When it when uh so when it could be asymptomatic, let's then that affects you. You don't even know that until you go testing. So the real the real takeaway from that is go get tested so you find out because this could be asymptomatic. So going in, you know, having a page of detail about and I apologize because I can't remember which. I mean, I read it. I mean, that's kind of a sign right there. I read it, and I can't remember which STIs were asymptomatic, and it could be. And it and, and, and it's it varied, not in one hundred percent of. And it varied anyway. for males and females, mm-hmm. and and um, but if it's asymptomatic, having learning about it 
the functional way it affects your life is you just you just need to go get tested. But you you need to be aware that there are STIs out there that are like that. Yeah. So I think it's important that that she covered that. I don't know. I I agree with you. It read very clinically, but I don't know that there's a way to present that kind of information without it reading clinically. And I actually don't think the level of detail was that much. I I think it was. It wasn't a page per per STD. It was maybe a half a page per per. Well, some were longer, STI. some were shorter, and clearly you could go. You know, again, you could have an entire chapters, entire books, and there are mm-hmm. entire and there's books no pictures about, or anything. So about each one of these, but in terms of this book, because some some things move very briskly, and then that just seemed to halt it. I mean, the chapter on the the legalities of certain things and and housing and for if and. You know, knowing your legal rights if you're in a poly relationship, and knowing who has what property property um, rights to property and wills, she goes through that very briskly. She lets you know these are the issues that you should be aware of, but it's very clear that there isn't the time or the space to go into it. But you just be aware of these issues, and I appreciated that, mm-hmm. and I think that that could have been applied to the. STI portion of the sexual health chapter. Yeah, you make a valid point. I think we've spent enough time talking about that chapter. I still don't necessarily agree with you, but that's okay. Well, okay. So, but yeah, I was going to talk about that later. So, but we kind of get that out of the way now. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about section one, which is basically, you know, what is an open relationship and is one right for you? And again, like I was saying, chapter three, which is called, is an open relationship for you? I, I think that's a great chapter to make you sit down and really think, okay, from my perspective, regardless of what my, my partner is saying, is an open relationship what I want? Because I think it'll it'll help you to figure out where you're fulfilled, if you're not fulfilled, your fears, um, what type of sexual diversity you're looking for. And it might also help you come to terms with and realize that not only do I want an open relationship, but maybe swinging isn't what I want either. Maybe I want something that's different from swinging. Well, yeah, I agree, but there's um all of section 2 is going through chapters like what is it 7 through 14 or whatever is going through all the different styles or many of the different styles of non-monogamy. So um the chapter on it's 5 through 10, by the way. Okay, 5 through 10. I think that that does a much better job of opening your eyes to these are the different styles Well, than... it tells you what the different styles are, but it doesn't it doesn't force you to be introspective at all. You know, you're just reading about them, and then you have to actively think. What I was commenting on was that Chapter 3 actually asks, like, there's there's a, a whole work-through section that has questions for you to sit down and think about individually. And And it also talks about reasons that you might go into an open relationship. And one of the reasons that it lists is just the pure rejection of monogamy, which I think is an interesting concept that just... At its core, you think to yourself, monogamy is not uh, a human trait. It's not something that humans should naturally do. So therefore, I'm going to seek out an open relationship. I thought that was just interesting that, uh, you know, that would be a a primary reason for somebody to seek out non-monogamy because they just think at its core, monogamy is not natural. Yeah, that is interesting because it kind of goes beyond goes beyond what we're normally taught, well, it, what we're normally raised to, to believe. It goes beyond just thinking about yourself. It goes beyond just thinking, I want to date multiple people, or I want to be in a relationship with multiple people. It's, it's, you're starting to think about... It's like, you're it's starting rejecting to think about, society. Yeah, you're starting to think norms. about society. Mm-hmm. You're, you, and you want to, yeah, re- reject that notion of monogamy. Yeah. And 
but doing it for doing it on like a societal level in certain terms of yeah. uh yeah. individual level as opposed cause... to like a an individual desire that needs to be met and so you have to reject society because you feel like you're not you're having not having a need met versus this is a i inherently reject what society is telling me is the way i should be mm-hmm. versus i have these needs in order to fulfill those needs i'm going to reject what society tells yes. me yes i mean yeah it's taking it's doing that yeah. second step so first and there's a, there's a small little section i don't know it's maybe a page or two about that but i thought it was really interesting it was something i'd never thought of yeah no i agree and there's there's various portions throughout the book that just are aha moments that you didn't really think about or that you've maybe not been able to put into words the way that the way that she has and mm-hmm. um we 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 mentioned this briefly but i just wanted to say again i think that the homework in the in the book is good that especially for somebody who hasn't done um who isn't currently practicing non-monogamy mm-hmm. it's not homework but it, the the task where making a pros and cons list for yeah. various things like is i think that there's literally a pros and cons list for is non-monogamy for you and mm-hmm. in that chapter three and um and there's actually i think exercises for people who are in monogamous or non-monogamous relationships that they can work through too uh to renegotiate rules which i know we've had a uh episode about that anyway and then there's also things about just negotiating the terms of your your sexual contracts as far as am i okay with anal am i not okay with anal am i okay with with external play am i not am i okay with my partner starting a relationship with somebody else and not telling me or do they have to tell me i mean all, all those sorts of things that if you're changing your relationship style um you might not think about there, mm-hmm. there's a little checklist to kind of go through and help you think of all the different aspects because that's the thing about open relationships is there's so many different possibilities and combinations and whether you tell somebody or you don't tell somebody or if if you're allowed to play when you're on location or if you can only play when you're at certain parties or you know there, there's so many different things to consider and the book has considered a lot of those for you and and listed them out so that you can kind of just go through systematically and say am i okay with that or am i not i mean it's not going to cover everything 100 percent, but no, i think but it's done a fantastic job a, of thinking about all the contingencies it does a really really good job and um that brings us to chapter four which is um discussing i i don't think i have the it's called what makes an open relationship work okay yeah i i just know that it was talking about the relationship foundations and what are important to maintaining a developing designing and then Mm -hmm. maintaining a good open relationship and again it's the word of the swinging and non-monogamy is communication there's a whole communication is always always uh tenamount to Mm-hmm. to having a, a healthy relationship and especially a non, uh, non-monogamous relationship. And it goes into all of the, well, not all, but a lot of the very important things that are, that should be... Like cornerstones almost. Cornerstone, yes, yeah. exactly. Cornerstones yeah. relationship that should be just there inherently, but a lot of times aren't and require work. I mean, yeah. just communication, honesty, trust... Consent, self-awareness. Consent. One of the concepts in the book that's really that's brought up in that chapter that's really interesting is um, is radical honesty. Yeah, I have that in my notes too. And I I read it, and I'll talk about I'll or one of us will describe what it is in a moment. But I read it, and 
thought, oh, that's very interesting, but that would not be for me. And that's exactly what Tristan Charmino says herself, that she yeah. doesn't advocate it as well. But you want to talk about a little bit what a, the radical honesty is? Yeah, I, I didn't write down the exact definition, but the, the paraphrasing for radical honesty is being just 100% completely open and honest with your partner. And and by that, I mean no white lies, no sugarcoating, no anything. Like, you tell them exactly what you feel, exactly what you think about them and the relationship and, I mean, everything. So it's it's 100% complete truth 100% of the time. And there's individuals out there who think that this is completely necessary for maintaining a good, open relationship. But like Tristan Terramino, she says that she kind of feels this is can be a confrontational style. I completely agree because you're not taking another person's feelings into consideration. And the argument is that you need to be complete, completely and 100% honest. But there there is times where you maybe you want to hold back and consider a person's feelings and wording right. things wording things in a way that you can yeah you can be considerate and yep. the way that the way that the book describes it and i think it's only about a page and a half or so talking about radical honesty um or maybe a couple pages but it seems like you could really that that you just are being very selfish in your communication style while trying to maintain yeah. complete honesty i mean it, and, it might work for some people i mean they they say that the uh, the basic premise is that most people develop roles that they present to the world which aren't truly who they are and that by doing so, you're not honest with your loved ones about who they are, things they've done, what you think, feel, and want. And then that can lead to unfulfilling and unsatisfying relationships because the connections you make between people are, are phony. And and there's actually – she's quoting from a book called Radical Honesty, How to Transform Your Life by Telling the Truth. And so this is – it's based on you know a lot more depth. And so it's some, if it's something you think you might be interested in, there's definitely a book on it. Um, but – they're kind of making the argument that you can only get true honesty when you share everything and expose every lie, every fiction, leave nothing unsaid, not sugarcoat anything. Otherwise, you start to have these different levels of truths and that those uh, block intimacy. Mm -hmm. I I agree with you, Cal, that uh, sometimes white lies are, are – they're good. But well, I think you need to, to be careful with – you know, you don't want to boost your – partner's ego so much so to the point that they think they've got a 10 inch cock when it's really a four inch well cock. i agree I mean, that you i need to be honest to some level but i agree that white lies can not be a problem but what i meant what kind of what i meant is that sometimes you just don't need to say anything whereas radical honesty you know you might say like oh you're not looking good when your partner is maybe she didn't even ask you am i looking good tonight but uh-oh <laughs> but some sometimes being silent or just not speaking what you're thinking can help things as well. Sometimes if if it well, yeah, I mean you don't want to blow your partner's self esteem. That's that's a big issue. Or you don't want to yeah. you don't want to hurt your partner's ego. At the same time, you don't want to like I was saying earlier, you don't want to boost it too much. No, either. I completely agree. But I think I think sometimes to be to be compassionate and considerate, radical honesty would be very tough to to do that because. Yeah. I mean, it also can lead to jealousy, too, because you don't want to be commenting on the tits of every person you see. You know, oh, mm -hmm. she's got nice tits. He's got nice tits. Oh, well, he better not have nice tits. But <laughs> That's what I mean, though. Like, censoring yourself sometimes is a good thing. And I just keep coming back to just it's, it's being compassionate and considerate. Your radical honesty doesn't seem to be. But that was just a style. Mm -hmm. That was a style of communication that 
I wouldn't say a lot of people practice. I hadn't even heard about it except for this, except for in the book. But yeah, um, it was just interesting, and that's what I mean. A lot of there's a lot of things about this book where I don't think they apply to me, especially the a lot of the polyamorous th- things and aspects of the way that life is just so different. Mm-hmm. But it's just fascinating to learn about these other styles of non-monogamy and how these other these these other styles of communication because. You just like you mentioned earlier, you could be reading this book and just have an aha moment that oh, that's that works for me, or that's you know that's oh, what I want. Radical that's, honesty yeah. is what I want to have with my yeah. partner, or I want to be I want to be a solo polyamorist, or I want to be a swinger. That's yeah. swinging is what speaks to me, and being polyamorous is what speaks to me, and and it's these you know having these thoughts mm-hmm. and ideas, these different thoughts and ideas laid out for you allows you to you might have never even thought about it and then yeah. it's it's the aha moment that's what i want to do that's what works yeah so. there, there's a interesting topic in chapter four about boundaries and that's something i'd never thought about before and it's about laying out your boundaries that are it's not only rules but like how you want people to treat you when they're when they're talking to you or how you that your physical boundaries your sexual boundaries your emotional boundaries and and uh, there's some good examples about how if you don't lay out what your boundaries are, they can easily be crossed where someone could uh, – I think there's an example about a husband who goes out with a girlfriend and she's out all night and then he comes back and, and the wife uh, – although it's within the within their rules, the wife is hurt because he didn't call her to let her know that he was going to be out really late or something. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like he, he, he didn't break a rule, but there was a boundary there, a physical or an emotional boundary that, that was broken. And it's just – it's interesting different concepts that might help you work through problems that you've had even though no, no, no rules are broken. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that conflict can happen in, in open relationships even if a rule itself isn't broken. And we've seen this happen before, um, even with us, where we're allowed to kiss other people. It's well within our rules that you know making out and kissing is, is allowed, but then there's still been issues of jealousy that have happened. And it's like, well, why? And we have mm-hmm. to think about it. Well... You know, maybe you're using a little bit too much tongue or kissing a little bit too long. Or, you, you know, you have to you have to figure out why. Like, what what and about is, it, even though it's within the rules? And that's been mostly your your problem, um, your issue. It's not, it's not really a problem. It's always a legitimate And it's issue. usually when you're drunk anyway. So. <laughs> and, and it gets just back to, I think, some issues of jealousy and, and whatnot, but, too. But Yeah, I have some the, – the, the book's got some really cool ideas about jealousy that I want to talk about in a moment. But – I guess we'll keep going in order. So we were still on chapter four. I think we'll um, then. All... Yeah, and there, there's one other part of chapter four that's interesting that I won't go into depth about. But there, there's a, a set of questions called uh, creating authentic relationships. It's the very end of the chapter. And it's all about how you define the words sex, intimacy, closeness, fidelity, commitment. And I think that's really important. So that you and your partner are on the same page. What does fidelity mean to you? What does commitment mean to you? Because if you're not on the same page with that, then you might find or think that your partner is cheating, for example, and your partner might think that they're not. Yeah, you. Everybody has to know what. Every, every, everybody just needs to be on the same page, and so it's very yeah. important that we, you know what the rules are or you know yeah. what each person considers to be fidelity and mm-hmm. and that is very important you i'm glad you brought that up because it, it reminds me that and it's another good thing about this book if is it brings up things that maybe you just haven't thought about and i know that a lot of our discussions we've had a lot of discussions where 
it's me just asking you, well, what, like, what, like, trying to just dig down to your emotions, like, why yeah. are you feeling that way? Why are you feeling jealous? Or why, like, why before when full swapping wasn't on the table, you know, what, what is the significance of, yeah. of full swapping, actual yep. sex penetration? And it, it all stemmed to differences in the words, how we define love and intimacy. I mean, I th- that's that's really what kept you and I from choosing to go full swap initially. It, it, it was it had to do with us thinking that, or at least for me, thinking that sex was intimate. And then, well, what's intimate? What does that mean? Saying, well, it, sex is so intimate that I only want it to be between you and I and not with somebody else. Well, what does that mean on an emotional level? And And... At the time, all I could think of, well, it's, it wouldn't be special if I had sex with somebody else or if you had sex with somebody else. And sex between us would stop being special. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what does special mean? And we had to work through a lot of that. So then you work through it. And then – so, so yeah, it's – it the book can help. You know, it, it hasn't thought of everything for you. But it, yeah. it, it has thought of these things that, oh, we need to make sure we're on the same page and we're discussing. That way when I'm talking about something and he's talking about something mm-hmm. that we're talking about the same thing. Because yeah. you're right. Even saying – something special sex like what does being special mean is it is you know so yeah it's just it's, yeah yeah because I, I could see rules initially being laid out of well you can have you can fuck someone else but it can't be passionate well it's like what the what the fuck is passionate versus you know well you, that you goes can, you can fuck someone but you can't make love to them you well, know like, yeah like how do you describe that how do you define that like although to be honest you can it is bang kinda... at a certain speed and if, as long as you can hear the sound of the banging then yeah then all is good <laughs> and if it's slow and methodical then then it's it's making love like i mean it's just coming to terms with that means yeah can you make the other person come well god it, if you can't make if you're not if you're <laughs> well if you're not allowed to then what's the what's the fun of it but yeah so and and those are just i mean i'm, I'm sure i'm sure every, talk about that, i'm sure everybody but. out there has had you know had to talk about these things on their own but it is kind of if, 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 if you haven't thought about them then the book brings up stuff that can help you work through that and that's yeah and that I, brings... mean, I, I had a few aha moments too just from mm-hmm. like oh i hadn't thought of it from that perspective and yeah that's right that that is why i feel the way i feel that, that's that's a good thought and that brings me to um so all of section two is the styles of non-monogamy mm-hmm. and so there's there's it goes to all the various different styles swinging polyamory and then but i wanted to get to um i believe it's starting at chapter 11 then that chapter 11 is designing your open relationship is that chapter 11 yeah so i I think we're gonna skip out on talking about all the different styles of open relationships for now just because that in and of itself could be a long lengthy discussion well it's no secret that's gonna be we are gonna be recording an entire episode and all the different styles because it's fascinating we thought it was fascinating all the different styles we didn't know much about polyamory or polyfidelity or all of these different styles so we we are skipping over section yep. two and because it we're kind of be... sidetracks just the overall review of the book well too, that would so. that would take up i mean that would probably be the bulk of this episode is talking about those yep. um styles which is why we're going to have an, uh, a separate episode on that yeah so i mean and it essentially it goes through uh swinging and and being in swinging relationships well, and then it goes through polyamory it goes which... through the spectrum it starts off you know partner non-monogamy which is essentially swinging we'll get to that when we do that episode but you know it goes through essentially swinging all the way up to you know uh polyfidelity where you know you have a group of people who have decided to be 
monogamous amongst the group but then mm -hmm. you can but then there's always exceptions like the group can be open but it's yep, essentially the group could be open the group it, could be closed it can be essentially an open or closed group right. but it's it's a large group and so that's that dynamic is such a different but it's such they they, they leave their their lives are just so much different than ours right. and so it was just fascinating and we're going to be talking about that so look um look 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 forward to that episode so but i wanted to go to talk about the chapter on designing your open relationship yep, so this is 11 this is once you've decided that open relationships are for you and you've read through all the different styles mm -hmm. and so then it's going through and it's it's kind of cool because at least i thought it was cool because it it's like the you know the five w's like the who what when where mm -hmm. and I, I, yeah. I, I think it skips out on the why but you know well it's who, it's it's what it's it's affectionate styles it's where it's um yeah and, frequency location and so by that it's like you know who is on the table for playing you know mm -hmm. that that's the who who is on the table for, for for playing and in what circumstances and that's the what you know what mm -hmm. and then the where where can this happen is it only going to happen together in the same room which yeah. is where we've we've talked about how we're same room play and when like full swap we're still we as you know our loyal listeners know we are a full swap couple who hasn't full swapped yet and <laughs> we will be looking forward to talking about our oh, you will get our, all the cummy details we will be looking forward juicy. to talking about our first time on the on that episode so but um even when when, when we full swap we're still going to be a same room full swap couple so mm -hmm. That's, and, and who knows that could change in the future but for now that's that's where we're gonna be yeah so that so where where can you know where where do these things go down do they only go mm -hmm. down at at social events parties that you go to or and then there's also I, a, oh the a when I, I skipped yeah. the when you know when like when and where kind of go hand in i mean these all mm -hmm. kind of go hand in hand but yeah. the but the when is you know you know when when does it when is, when can is, also be frequency and that frequency is interesting to think about and talk about you and I never really talked about how frequently are we going to swing, but when we first got into swinging, I thought that we were going to parties maybe a little bit too frequently. I was I was afraid that we were going to parties too frequently, such that it would become a crutch, or that you would learn to to like it so much that that's the only way you wanted to engage in sexual activity. I was concerned about that. I it, think it wasn't a legit a legitimate concern. It I, really shouldn't have didn't need to be, but I needed to work through it. But yeah, I think that was partially. But just, I was definitely yeah. like against going to parties every month even once a quarter i thought maybe that's too much maybe we only need to go once or twice a year just well, to scratch the itch and be done that with was it. when that was back when you know there was still the thought that maybe it's gonna be something that is you know uh that we rely on or whatever i mm -hmm. think we've both grown and learned that that's not the case it's just not, not only that but it's afraid that uh well yeah i guess that is it but i mean because i think now we're very busy so we can't always make something every month but i mean now, if we did, though, I think you'd be fine if we did went to something once a month. Yeah, except it gets to be so damn expensive. But, but the thing is, is, and this is kind of a little bit for the for the just styles of swing, uh, the styles of non monogamy episode. But it's kind of for for us, it isn't our whole life. It's it's an aspect of our life. But mm -hmm. we don't go to the movies every single weekend. We might not go to the movies. Oh, <laughs> we did for a I while mean, <laughs> in the summer. You know, summer summer movie season. We you know, yeah. but you know, you we. You don't go bowling every, you know, you, you do things periodically. And and for us, that's how swinging is. Well, because we, you're, we you're referring to, it back to the social aspect of yeah, it so, as opposed to the life aspect of it. If you're in a polyamorous relationship, how often do you go on dates, like actual physical dates well, with other people? And if, how, and, how often do you see your other lover? And we're kind of digging down. And so I, we'll, 
we're kind of digging down into what we'll talk about in the other episode, but you're right because it's certain styles of polyamory or certain styles of non-monogamy are just so different that it it's it's almost completely unrelatable to to mm-hmm. how we are because well that frequency question just has different because meanings, when you live styles. when you live and have a co-spouse you know you're in a v triad and we'll talk about all of those the v's and the w's and 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 all of that all those fascinating different combinations but if you're if if you're if you're living with individuals you know it isn't well we're doing this too often, you know. It's oh, I'm living with this person too often. You know, you just your life is just different, and so mm-hmm. yeah. So, but yeah, getting so back the, the question's different. Getting back to the frequency, though. So yeah, the the who, what, when, where, and why, and how and was there the how? Well, the how to me is: can you do anal or do you don't do anal? Oh, can you do blowjobs? Do you not do blowjobs? Yeah, I mean can that you, is the how. You know, how how do you, the, you how know, do you actually act out these sexual how do you do it yeah and that's it's kind of is, is it's kind of rule defined what, what types of bdsm what did kinda... she say like define did she actually use a term that you know a lot of people use like rules did she use rules or was it no it was it was more like um going through the affectionate and sexual activities checklist to figure out what's okay and what's not okay mm-hmm so i mean in a, in a way it is rules i don't she didn't call it rules and and Part of the reason for that is there's actually a a, a section that talks about, do we call them rules? Do we not call them rules? Because some people are are adverse to actually calling them as rules, more as like Because it's like limiting your, you know, it's it's putting limits on things instead of of guidelines. And so, yeah, there's, I think a lot of individuals in the swinging community are very comfortable using the term rules, like, oh, what are your rules? But... I think some people are very some people in some communities just aren't and yeah because then it's like they don't want to limit their partner's ability to have fun in any way and so in some cases there are agreed upon guidelines but even those guidelines are are maybe not necessarily strict and and so the chapter also talks about veto power and if the spouse or primary partner should have the ability to veto who the other person's playing with and there's a whole discussion i it's not real long because like we said there's there's no section in this book that's super long but it goes into how other some of the interviews and how other couples have viewed if you should or shouldn't be able to have veto power and again that varies depending on the style of of open relationship that you have i think in in a lot of swinging relationships veto power exists but in polyamory relationships it there, there, I think there's couples that don't necessarily have veto power where your spouse can say yes or no who you play with. So one other thing that uh, the Designing Your Relationship uh, chapter, chapter 11, talked about besides veto power was what they call the myth of equality. And I found that interesting because when you and I first got in swinging, and even up until recently, it was very much like anything you can do, I have to do too. So like... Well, if you kiss somebody else tonight, I need to kiss somebody else. Tonight. Yeah, in the same, like, like it, it wasn't just in general that you can you can make out and and you yeah. know ha, you know soft swap with other people, and I can too, but it doesn't necessarily have to happen. It's almost like we had to have like if it was it going had to be at the same time. If, if, yeah. if it was okay, it was like tit for tat. Yeah, exactly. Or should I say, clit for peen? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it had to be even and even within the same night. Like, like. Initially, the only way I could be comfortable with it, and I think you might have been this way too, was if for anything you did, I did too, and vice versa. Like mm-hmm. that, that was the only way to be comfortable with it was like, well, he's getting some, I'm also getting some, so that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we've learned that it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be equal. And this chapter is talking about myth of equality more, more than just 
what you do and how you play, but also who you play with, too. Because, like we've kind of hinted at, and we'll talk more about, it might be the case where one person in a relationship has multiple partners and the other one has none. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in the in the in the episode discussing the various types. But yeah, the yeah the myth that you have to that that things have to be equal when they don't. When it just needs to be that everybody's comfortable with the situation. That yeah, everybody's not comfortable but happy with the way that the situation is. The uh, the way that Tristan Termino describes it is that no no one feels like they're being taken advantage of mm-hmm. and as long as that's not happening and the both people both parties or or all individuals involved are comfortable and accepting of the the way that the that things have unfolded or who or the way that the things have played out mm-hmm. then that's what's important. Yeah, I think a lot of couples who are just getting into the swinging lifestyle probably try to keep things equal. And and think that that's how it has to be. Well, in I, order to be comfortable, I think with it's how a way to help are. control jealousy. That yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm doing this, or or she's doing, she or he is doing this. Yep. So as long as I can do that too, yeah. then I won't feel jealous jealous no. towards that. Yeah. And I also think it leads back to like trust and commitment because it's like for every person you're with, I'm with someone too, and I know I'm going to come back to you, so you're going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it comes down to how much you trust your partner and how committed you are or how, how much you think you're committed. And if you're once you're really comfortable and you know your partner's not going anywhere and you know that commitment's true and you know that trust is there, then I think you can open it up to have some nights where it might not be equal, where your partner ends up finding somebody else they're attracted to. They play with them that night in the swinging world, and maybe you don't play with anybody, but you're okay with it. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe the next time you play with two people, and they play with no one, you know? Yeah, it's it's something good just to think about, and and it's tough to get to that point. I mean, I, I recognize oh, that. Oh, it takes time. Some, that... some couples might never get to that. They might only be comfortable with... Uh, one for one scenario. Well, I and to be honest, I don't think either one of us are completely there. I think we oh, recognize that we're working towards it. I we're definitely better off at being at recognizing that mm-hmm. maybe things won't be equal. Or, but I mean, I, I'll be honest. If if you fucked five different women in one night and I didn't like fuck anybody or do anything, <laughs> would would I be jealous? Yeah, well, that's I, quite I think the I night. would. But I I <laughs> oh, think we're working. Hey, you're an attractive man. But you got, you got a good cock. Well. Still, it takes time to go. Through. <laughs> That's a lot of women. Yeah. But but yeah, I think I mean we're working towards it, and but I think we've we've already made great strides in recognizing yeah. that equality. Like it doesn't have yeah. to be as long as we're both comfortable with right. whatever is going happening. And, and, and like what I just described, I think jealousy could happen. I'm pretty sure it would happen, but it'd be more situational. And I'd be be jealous of the situation, but not necessarily angry at you. Like, but like it would it would be projected onto you, but you per se wouldn't be the cause. But I, I do think it takes some it takes time to build up to that. I think mm-hmm. it's probably more common and healthy to start off where it is equal because th- yeah, then you can work through jealousy together or work through well, how did we feel when we both soft swapped or yeah, we're not. It's it's it isn't one person working through things and and or one person having to deal with their partner yeah you know doing things and playing with others when when the other person doesn't have to do that i think but i, I don't think you can really work through it until you are in an unequal situation i think it's it's, it's difficult to even try to work through until you felt that way yeah you've been in that situation but I, 
but I, I do think if you've been doing non-monogamy long enough or for a decent while, then you can you can recognize problems before they even occur. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might not, but you might not have had that, you know, that self awareness to to yeah. work through and even and do that before things yeah. occur. So I, I and, do and think I guess you can do it. Before part it of that too, like in the situation I talked about with you banging five women. Chances are I'd get jealous after three, and it might be a good idea to just stop you then rather than letting it to continue, continue to, like, boil over, you know? Like, like, like once you recognize an inequality that you're not comfortable with, you should stop it before it becomes even more unequal, yeah. you know? I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about, like, the veto power. Yeah. And I do, I know that there, you know, the book talks about it, that some couples don't want to, you know, have that on their partner. Mm-hmm. But I, that's something that I recognize that I do want to have and that's mm-hmm. part of the, what the book does is is at least yeah. for me is that it reaffirms things that you do do and it's you know she says some people don't you know in the the book talks about some people don't want to have veto power yeah, but and, then it, and reasons for it, that but it sort of reaffirms well i do and yeah. the, so the book enlightens brings up new topics and new ways to consider mm-hmm. scenarios but it also it might reiterate it, it reaffirms why. and mm-hmm. you know you have a you can recognize well, no, I actually am happy with the way that I am, yeah. but but it's until you've explored other options and still come back to what you yeah to to the way that you're comfortable. Well, that's what's great about the book because it because of the interviews that she's done and the perspectives that that are presented in the book, you can see both sides of the coin without having to experience them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just by being able to live through the eyes of other people and the experiences they've had. So it, that really helps because you you can read other people's stories and other people's experiences and and either relate to them or not relate to them. So I wanted to move on to the next chapter, jealousy. I don't remember which chapter it was. Uh, twelve. Twelve. So this is one of my favorite chapters, just because jealousy is a issue that plagues almost everybody. I mean, I don't want to mm-hmm. blanket statement say everybody deals with it, but almost everybody. I mean, essentially, the, yeah. if you don't, you're the exception. And more power to you, mm-hmm. and the rest of us wish we could be like you, but the rest of us have to work through and deal with jealousy. Well, we, we wish we could be that way. I don't think it's fair to say that the rest of us do, because we have talked to couples that think some amount of jealousy is necessary. Really you and I aren't of that realm, but there are couples out there who think that some amount of jealousy is necessary to maintain the like possessive desire or you know for for your spouse or to maintain the the burning desire for your spouse. I I don't want to get into that, but yeah, there are couples. Well, that I mean, that. well, we can get into it a little bit because I mean that's what the chapter is about. I I think that well, the chapter is not about whether or not jealousy is necessary. Well, it's, it's how to cope. It's with more that. defining what it's jealousy coping. is. It's well, yeah. it's, it's defining it. It's defining jealousy and and coping with it and trying to overcome it. But and I do I subscribe heavily to the notion that you jealousy there there really is no positive and i recognize that you know it keeps so there are individuals who think that it keeps a spark going and and that you can you maintain your you know that's how you make you can reaffirm to yourself that you have a connection with your with your spouse and you really do care about them because mm-hmm. you know people I've, I've heard people say that if you don't get jealous you just don't care about your spouse yeah, or I your significant other like and i just i and the being in the lifestyle, the longer I'm in it, the more that I just recognize that jealousy is such a negative emotion that I don't think any positive comes from it. I think even if you think there's a positive, and, and again, these are all my opinions, but even if you think there's a positive, that it's something else. You're not there. There isn't a positive that's coming that's coming from jealousy. Um, but 
I don't want to dwell on that too much. What I do want to talk about is what I really, what I've always, she was able to put into words what I've always thought, but didn't quite have, didn't quite have the words to to go about it. But that jealousy is a umbrella term, and jealousy isn't a base emotion in and of itself. Jealousy is, if you think about like stairs, jealousy is a step above. There's always an emotion or some kind of cognition that's that's going on that's causing jealousy for mm-hmm. instance you know there's she she goes through that there's envy uh competitiveness insecurity and inadequacy possessiveness and resentment and jealousy all of those things can cause jealousy jealousy mm-hmm. isn't whenever you say you're jealous there's you can always dig down and say well i'm if you you self-evaluated enough. Yeah. You could say, I'm jealous because I'm feeling insecure about this situation. Yeah, je- jealousy is the result and the feeling, but there's something else that's actually causing you to feel that and way. People- like, like you, you, the end result is that you feel jealous, but the, the cause can be different. Yes, and people, I mean, we do it all, me and you do it all the time. You know, you say you get jealous, or we've gotten jealous in the past, mm-hmm. and and we and we say all the time, like, oh, we try to work through things. What we're really saying is we try to identify that base emotion underneath, yep. recognize why you're feeling it, and work past that, you know? This but, chapter actually really helped me get to the heart of why I've felt jealous at different times. And if you're feeling... And it, that, it always comes back to tit envy. <laughs> <laughs> That but, girl has bigger tits than I do. But I recognize that a lot of times, you know, I've had all of the reasons for jealousy that I listed I've experienced, but a, a lot of it is uh, possessiveness. Like, I feel, you know, you feel like it's, you're it, my spouse. It makes and... me laugh because under possessiveness, I put, this is something that I don't know that I've ever felt, or at least not very frequently, but I think men do. Well, because I think that it's the the majority of the reason why I feel mm-hmm. jealous because when I go through these things, it's not that I'm envious of what's going on when because in the or when 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 we've and for me it, when we've been playing and I envy is almost entirely at heart for me. But the thing is, is when you're playing though, you're playing too. Are you envious of what I'm doing because you're doing it? No, it's not you. It's the other woman. She's better. She's more attractive than I am. So he's gonna uh, want her. That's more. insecurity. She's no. It's that's, both. It's mm, both. I don't think it's. Oh, no, go through see, read read the book again, sir. I guess they're they're very linked. In my mind, I mean, I guess, and I could be wrong, but in my mind, envy is there's something that I don't have that I want versus they have something mm-hmm. that I don't that it's, I don't have. It doesn't they, mean it, it doesn't. They go hand in hand. It's subtle. It's a subtle difference, but there is a difference there that they have something that I don't. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want what they have. I guess is the difference. But it's like you're feeling inadequate, and it's 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 it's, it's actually more inadequacy versus insecurity. Actually, because you're, that's that's why it's envy because you want what they have. You don't have what they have. You want what they have, or you're upset that you don't have what they have. Hmm. I mean, I mean like, we don't the, have the insecurity is you know the fear that someone's going to be better than better than you in bed or that you know your spouse might have a preference or for for them over you or you know just being insecure that you're not not sufficient but envy is also I I want what they have so for well, for me those are the two that that if I I agree with you they're slightly different but I disagree with you in that I have felt both and I think they're all very closely tied so and I think you know everybody has to. Well, not everybody has to, but it, it's very, it's incredibly beneficial if you try to dig down when you're feeling jealous, 
to dig down and and figure out what that means. And it's just it's so common for people to say, "Oh, I felt jealous. I got jealous at that situation, or I got jealous seeing her talking with him, or I got jealous watching what was going on." But I and I'm gonna and I'm I try to make a, a concerted effort, and I'm gonna after reading opening up, I'm gonna try to even more to just even get away from the phrase saying I got jealous or it was it was a jealousy issue versus just trying to just cut that out and say I was you know you know and it, and part of it is it's easier to say I got jealous versus you know because well, jealous letting, is the end result as opposed to well, the reason you why you really got to bury your soul you got to say you know I was insecure at that situation that's it it's letting yourself uh, or just that I didn't like seeing you with that other person because you're mine or I didn't like yeah which or or another uh another portion of jealousy is is feeling excluded so i i was jealous because i wasn't a part of what was going on mm-hmm. and that gets can can get back to the equality thing too and the myth of equality but you don't hear that enough that it's jealousy is an umbrella term and there's jealousy is never an emotion in, in and of itself there's jealousy is the result like you said mm-hmm. a couple of times that jealousy is the result of some other emotion some other feeling that you're never going to resolve how you're never going to resolve a jealousy issue unless until you figure out why you're feeling jealous. And people always say, I mean, even, even that saying like trying to figure out why I feel jealous, it's trying to figure out the emotion that caused my jealousy. Yeah. And nobody ever thinks about it like that. And and it's tough. You know, this is a great chapter because it can make you think about those things. And it's a chapter that I can see myself going back to. Like I, I, I we've recommended this book. We've talked. We've spent uh, over an hour talking about the book now, and this this chapter is is a primary reason I think to even get the book because it's it's fantastic, and I can definitely see myself revisiting it after you know if we have an issue, if we have a problem, to try and figure out why. I agree. It it plants those seeds in your head, those ideas in your head, but then just going back and rereading them and re reading the recommendations for identifying the cause of jealousy and then moving forward from the jealousy. I, I think the book is, is really good about how it presents that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I don't know if I would necessarily need to revisit. I mean, there's nothing wrong with revisiting it, but I would, I think that the message of, of the chapter is boiled down to easy enough that it's just, whenever I feel jealous, figure out why I'm feeling jealous, figure out what's causing that. And that's, that's what the chapter essentially boils down to. It is, but it gives you ideas on what those causes can be, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and like, I, I I don't know. I think I said this before, but I wouldn't have thought of those causes. I wouldn't have thought of envy. I wouldn't have thought, you know, I would, those are ideas and concepts that would not have come to my head had I not read the chapter. It's interesting hearing this with you now, because I know when you were further ahead in the book, we were reading the book at the same time, but you, um, we're further ahead in the book and you finished it before I did. But I remember when I finished this chapter and I was talking to you about it, I, you were, I think you were skeptical about jealousy being as jealousy being an umbrella term to the extent that you're saying it is now. You know, um, yeah. I just gave it more thought than I had initially, but you know, because at first I, ago, I, was, I thought I, I got the impression that, well, I was yes, thinking there of, was reasons behind it, but then it could also just be jealousy in and of itself. Well, I was thinking that envy would, was a separate feeling than fear of abandonment that, I, you know, I was thinking that all of those things were independent feelings. But then when I when I really started to think about it more, how my body reacts and how I actually like feel at the heart of it, like the the 
manifestation of the physical emotion was the same for would would be the same for all of them. So that's why I could kind of link them all back to the same term mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the the physical manifestation of you know I feel angry, I feel sad, I feel you know they they all would make me feel the same way, have the same impact on my my body emotionally, physically. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, that I think yeah the jealousy chapter is is great because that is everybody is going to everybody deals with that mm-hmm. in one way or another yep um so then going to the next chapter which i think you have better notes in terms of the chapter name chapter but... 13 it's called compersion oh actually i completely skipped that chapter of my notes so <laughs> i'll let you lead the discussion on compersion yeah and we don't have to talk about it long because we've talked about it in our jealousy episode specifically but i i think that we, i've gotten a better definition from the from the book yeah and so so the book defines compersion in a couple of different ways uh, it, it kind of blanket statements it as the opposite of jealousy and initially talks about compersion as finding pleasure in your partner's like sexual pleasure mm-hmm. or your partner's pleasure they kind of open that up a little bit to be just finding pleasure when your partner finds pleasure in general mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be in a sexual in a sexual meaning and and some of the examples start off with something like finding it hot when your partner's fucking someone else and it's saying that you know it's it's okay if it starts off with you find it hot but you're also slightly jealous that's probably going to happen where you're you're attracted to it but at the same time you have you might be envious of it or possessive but the ultimate goal would be to have that jealousy portion go away and just be have have complete uh satisfaction and pleasure enjoyment and finding Having your, watching your partner have pleasure, mm-hmm. and that might be pleasure with other people, but it might also be just be self pleasure. I mean, there's yeah, some people finding, who, who take issue with their partner even masturbating. Yeah, finding pleasure in your partner's pleasure, or yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's right. And so, so yeah, we, we we we've talked about that before, and yeah, and I it, actually don't have a lot of notes on that chapter. It's it's more or less just discussing yeah. that that's kind of a goal. I think and that's why I didn't have the, that the many chapter notes either, actually but. has a lot of anecdotal. There's a lot of passages in there of of other couples talking about how they've gotten to that state and and how it makes them feel and but, and why why a couple might want to work towards that. Yeah, I think it is something that is a good thing to strive towards. Is that if you're happy in your, your partner, it's, if you're it's, happy, it's your almost happy. essentially yeah, you're just happy that your partner's happy. And if that's pleasure's coming from you, if it's pleasure coming from other individuals and yeah. being. So yeah, and, I, and like for me, I I love the male orgasm, man. I I love to watch a man come. I love to to feel a man come. And initially, I struggled with seeing you come or having you come and not have it be with me. But <laughs> now it's just like I'm happy when you come. Like <laughs> I see you come, and it like it almost, honest to God, like it's almost it almost triggers a, uh, an orgasm for me just to see you come without even being physically stimulated. In some cases, like it's hot. That is hot. That is hot. So. So the next thing that I have is talking about when something changes, when the relationship changes. Okay. So, th- so just so people are following along, if anybody gets the book, the next chapter, <laughs> the next chapter is common problems and challenges. Yeah, I, I started to skip around in my notes. It's so. it the the interesting part about that chapter is talking about new relationship energy. Oh yeah, no, I, I, found I actually have be, some notes here. So. I, I found that to be really interesting, where it's talking about notes. you wouldn't think that new relationship energy would be a problem, like or commonly. Um, I've I've heard it referred to as NRE, and she even like well, the acronym. new relationship energy. NRE, yeah, I'm just yeah. letting you know that because I had well, I had heard it in previous podcasts, or other podcasts. I didn't know it. Like if uh, okay. if you don't start off saying new relationship energy, and you just start off saying mm-hmm. 
you know, NRE. Yeah. You don't, you might not know what that well, is. Now, so now that... you know, if you, if you hear the term NRE, it's new relationship energy. So what's that and, high that you get when you, you yeah. know, a new relationship starts and. And to me, that's, that's one of the reasons to, that's what I, one of the things that I love about swinging, because every time we meet a new couple that we're going to swap with, that energy is there that what's it going to be like? How are they, how are they going to be What's you know, it's not necessarily a relationship per se. It's, it's a sexual relationship. It's not an intimate relationship, but that I, I really love that feeling in the first couple of dates and the, like, it's, it's almost like a, like a high, like a drug. I really, really like that. It is, it is awesome. It is a really good feeling. And that's why, you know, that's why it's its own phenomenon. It has this term, new relationship energy, NRE. That's, it's, but it can be a challenge because for a polyamorous relationship, you might start to neglect your feeling this NRE and you start to spend a lot of time with a new partner. Potentially yeah. you have a, let, let's say you already have a primary partner and you start spending time with a secondary partner and you really have this intense NRE and your primary relationship sort of falls to the wayside. Yep. So it's in this, it is in this chapter that's mm-hmm. talking about um, challenges and, and things to be aware of and, and to recognize that, especially for a, a polyamorous really relationship that Mm -hmm. try not to let the nre get in the way of any current relationships you already have it can also be kind of like a form of of beer goggles where you are so so... women look hotter (laughs) yeah well that that (laughs) i've always argued you're you're so into it you're so into your new relationship that you fail to see uh the the problems and the shortcomings that are going to happen so like you, you fail to identify issues that are that are going to be a problem you know mm-hmm. where you where you and your partner your new partner are not on the same page so that's where you know being in a polyamorous relationship it might help to have somebody else's perspective because they can kind of call out the shit that you don't see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so the other notes that i have in this chapter is is the time management issues yep. which is for us you know it's it's trying to balance how often we go out and, and swing and go to a party yep. versus you know all the other aspects in our lives but for other non-monogamous styles, there's time management to the extreme where mm-hmm. you have to schedule, you know, you live with somebody, you live with multiple individuals, and who, who do you spend time with? Yeah, who do like, you... like who, fuck, who do you fuck on Wednesday, and who do you fuck on Thursday, and who do you fuck on Friday? Like, <laughs> or if you don't even... Like, like the sleeping schedule. Or the... if you don't live, and, and, and even if you're polyamorous, polyamorous, and you don't live with individuals, you know, who do you go on a date with on one night, and who do you go on a date with on another night, and how do you yeah. keep everybody satisfied? It just blows my mind. It's... Yeah, it's yep. the time management becomes a, a very mm-hmm. a very uh, uh, legitimate concern that affects your everyday life. Absolutely. Where where are you going to spend time? Who are you spending yeah. time with? Who's and how pain are you is not, in me now? And how are you not upsetting everybody and keeping yourself yeah. satisfied so with the amount of time? I have the general solution: DP. <laughs> Just go for a DP. You can you can have two at once, and everybody's happy. <laughs> And so miscommunication also. And yeah, and, that's... and agreement violations is the other piece too mm. that's covered in that in that chapter. And I mean, both of those could be long topics in and of themselves. It's just how to communicate and avoid miscommunications. And there, there's a lot of, I think, good information about getting through uh, your your rule breaking or agreement violations and how to how to bring it up, how to talk about it, how to rectify it, mm-hmm. how to how to regain trust. And it's it's rule violations that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. Um, things, you know, there's the usual where somebody may have played with someone that they weren't supposed to or, or you know, broke that kind of rule. But there's also somebody didn't use a condom or somebody, you know, somebody flew about it with somebody else. And those are also considerations you have to think about mm-hmm. when you're swinging or in a polyamorous relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, you're exactly right. So, moving on to... Uh, there's a whole chapter on when something changes. And I think that that's... It's an important chapter, especially for for us maybe in, in the swinging lifestyle or just those of us well it's important for any non-monogamous style Mm -hmm. just to be just to be aware that what happens when things change for us in the swinging lifestyle what happens if a couple who you play with something it develops it potentially develops into something more what happens do you cut off contact with that or do you just roll with it and you know that's how i think a lot of poly relationships start is they start off Yep. At a swinging level, and then something changes. Yeah. It's, and... What happens if one of the partners or both of you guys fall in love? You 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 develop this connection that you can't ignore, or do you ignore it? it and you know, and... Maybe part of you might might just say, you know what, we we want to stay as just a couple. We don't want to pursue that. We're going to ignore that. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I mean, there, it's it's just a matter of how do you how do you handle those situations? And the chapter does a great job of of. It was another eye-opening thing for me because I haven't, I hadn't really put that much thought into it, and it was, it's, it's interesting to see just how many couples or that there's options. A lot of, you know, general society thinks, oh, if somebody comes out as being, as, as being a closeted um, gay individual, that their, their current, their current heterosexual relationships over, that you just have to move on it dissolves that that relationship dissolves yeah. versus goodbye this, marriage goodbye everything this book makes it very this this book goes at great lengths to make it a point to say that relationships can change they don't have to necessarily dissolve they can yeah. they can change and morph and become they they can just they're living the they relationships stop are being sexual and the relationships are living and breathing entities and they can and they, they and they don't remain static or they don't have to remain static if something changes it doesn't mean that necessarily now both individuals have to or any of the individuals involved in this scenario need to be okay with it changing because i recognize that it's you know if you can't handle the way that the, the relationship's moving then potentially the relationship needs to dissolve mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to but it, it doesn't have to it doesn't There's... have to stay with the norms of one man one woman or two men it's two just... women it, it can yeah and and it and it doesn't mean that those the people who are together have to be sexually active together. Like no, and like, and that actually does kind of blow my mind that just the the individuals the anecdotes in the book about where individuals maybe just don't have sex with their primary partner mm-hmm. anymore, but they're still together. They're still yeah. loving and and committed and married. And... Yeah, and it brings up a lot of different possibilities where you could have. A, a homosexual and a heterosexual together in a marriage, or you could have a a low libido, high libido combination together in 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 a relationship, or you could have a kinky and a non kinky. Or you know, there's so many different things where there's just there's a sexual mismatch, but there's enough love and desire and and probably time input that mm-hmm. you don't want to lose that foundation that you already have but you need to find sex sexuality and sexual fulfillment elsewhere and i think it's fantastic for individuals who've already done that where they've bucked the societal norm and yeah it's they, hard to do they don't want they're willing to let their relationship grow and evolve but i recognize that it's very t- that it's very tough that it would be some of the scenarios are incredibly tough to get through just because it's it's tough to wrap your mind around whereas if 
if you came out as a full out 100% lesbian and didn't want to have sex with me, it would be it would be Oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> it would be crazy to think about how our relationship would maintain. And as much as I'm sitting here saying that relationships can grow and evolve, I think it'd be very hard to maintain a relationship with you where we don't have a sexual relationship anymore even though but i but we're we're, we're compatible in so many other ways i but i recognize yeah. you'd have to just identify the the friendship piece of it and the other the other benefits that you get i mean there's there's the the financial aspect of things and there's the household running of the household aspect of things and then there's just the the companionship but aspect of things i do recognize that whereas a couple of years ago, I might not even have had the option in my mind that the relationship could grow. If, if, mm -hmm. if a few years ago, you might have asked me, what would happen if, if you came out as a full-out lesbian and our sexual relationship is gone, then I would say, well, then Cal's gone. Or, mm -hmm. you know, but I... Yeah, although I have to admit, if I came out as a full-on lesbian, we could probably find ways to to get a bisexual unicorn, and you could fuck her, and I could fuck her, and we'd, we'd be good. Well, I'm you... thinking of more like, what if your penis got cut off? Well, you... That would be devastating. Well, I, I guess I was using you as a lesbian <laughs> no, as a, just the sex-going-away example. I know, I'm just joking but around. But I think it, it, it's, it's easy when you're not in the scenario to say things can change, mm -hmm. where... Whereas if you're actually in this scenario, but I think it's, it's empowering and nice to know that if you can recognize that things can change. A couple of weeks ago, you had said something to me that I can't remember what it was and I don't remember what it was, but it was something about our relationship could change if whatever we were talking about changed. And I don't remember <laughs> I, what it was. I, I think the context was that while well, we, we met somebody and, and one of us started to have like feelings or desires for somebody else we were, we were watching a tv show and, and a guy started cheating with a co cheating on his wife with a co-worker and fell in love with his co-worker we were, we were actually watching being Jan, john malkovich oh that's what it was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and neither and, one of us had seen it and even though that movie's been out since like 1999 but we finally and, got around to watching and, it and essentially there's a married couple and, and one person in the married couple ends up falling in love with with somebody else Actually, both both partners <laughs> yeah. end up falling in love with somebody else, and it's like, well, if that situation happened, we'd have to work through it. But I recognize that you're my best friend. I wouldn't want to lose that that part of our relationship, you know. So I would definitely want to work to continue to have you in my life, even if it wasn't wasn't in a sexual way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But so it'd be I very think... difficult. And and at that point, that's that's when it kind of talks to the next chapter, which is about coming out. And when you're in a relationship like that, like then then that's when. You have to consider coming out, and that's when this next chapter would. Yeah, the next come chapter was deals with coming out with your relationship, and who do you come out to, and considerations, and mm -hmm. what if you actually aren't the one in control? What if you're outed by somebody, yeah. and and all the various considerations there. But one thing that I recognized after during reading that chapter is that as a as a quote unquote swinger, that a lot of the issues. I, for a while, for the longest time, I thought, like, oh, should we come out or would we ever want to come out? But I recognize, I think I've morphed and evolved to where I recognize that for us right now, the the way that our relationship is and our non-monogamy is that we are swingers. And so that means that it's, it's pretty much purely sexual. I mean, we do go to parties and mm -hmm. there is potentially lying to individuals about if we are going to a party like who's like what party are we going to but for the most part we don't there's sexual relationships and we don't just go talking to our co-workers yeah. and our parents and our 
our siblings about our our mine and your sex lives yeah, the, and so why do we need to come out the only benefit to us to coming out would be to to have the ability to be completely honest about your whereabouts and your ongoings i mean that's for for us in the swinging lifestyle that's that's the only benefit is to be able to be completely honest with the people that you're talking to and people that you're close with and, about where you're going and what you're doing and that's our and that is our opinion and i might can be live a- with that i can live with those lies and I mean, because you do have to lie when you go to if you go to Desire in Mexico or or any of the yeah. of the swinger slash hedonistic resorts that are out there. And by hedonistic, I don't specifically mean hedonism because they're all yeah, all of them Desire. They're all the hedon- clo- clothing optional. Type the clothing of optional yeah. lifestyle friendly resorts. A lot of individuals who've gone know the you know know the awkwardness of mm-hmm. telling their family they're going to Mexico or wherever it is and oh what what Making resort are you staying at resort. Yeah. oh i don't remember or, or oh, you, just wherever we went last you time. pick one close by and so yeah. i recognize that that's where we don't have to worry about it but there are very real issues when you're polyamorous or you have Absolutely. you're raising children with somebody else and how do you who do you come out to who do you and there's very real issues there's there's, there's huge there's ramifications custody for issues you, yep. there's very serious issues and so there's there's great consideration that needs to be mm-hmm. thought about when you are deciding yeah i mean even, if you want to come out even and for if you swingers do, there's ramifications but there I think are it's, it's more are. so for the polyamorous polyfidelity relationships but yeah yeah i've i've come to the realization that i almost don't really need to feel the need to ever come out with our relationship the way it is right now unless we get caught unless we do want to i mean we're having children if it's if we don't want to completely lie about where we're going maybe we you know, I, I, we haven't crossed that bridge yet, but you're right that it would be where we don't want to have to lie about whereabouts or where we're going. But for the most right. part, in terms of our sexuality, we don't talk about the sex we have just in bed at home together. So why do we need to talk about that we fuck other people? Exactly. Um, but yeah, it really only comes down to if people need to know that there are other responsible parties in your in your life. Mm-hmm. That there are other people who can ha- help handle affairs or... That you want, or there's other people that you want to be able to come to like family events and that you want to be a part of your greater extended family. And, but it was a fascinating chapter, even though I, reading it, I realized almost all of these issues don't apply to my relationship as Mm -hmm. it is right now. It's, as with a lot of the portions of the book that don't necessarily exactly speak to me, or it's still fascinating to learn about what individuals have to go through, individuals who, they're individuals who do have to worry about these things that they're the way that their sexual lives that and who they decided to share their life with affects so all these different yeah. facets there there's some interesting points that it made about impact on legal issues so impact on custody with children and mm-hmm. uh particularly with respect to impact on custody battles mm-hmm. just because of how society sees monogamy versus non-monogamy it's just really interesting to, to see the anecdotes that people have about when they have come out and the good the the good things that have come of it and when they've come out and the bad things that have come of it mm-hmm. so that's pretty much what i have on the book yep so yeah i mean the, the book has other sections just just for the sake of being a completist uh there's there's a chapter on raising children and that's particularly with respect to being in poly relationships um, and and kind of some of the custody issues that can go with that, and and whether or not it's beneficial to children, um, and, and kind of you know how having that added parental support can be beneficial, and it's it's an interesting uh, thing to talk about. Just mm-hmm. with, but it's 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 mostly with respect to polyamorous relationships, not so much with swinging. 
Um, and then chapter 18 is about sexual health. We've already talked about that quite a yeah. bit. Um, chapter 19 is about legal and practical issues. Which we already talked about. Yep, we did. And that's it, it really gets back to the polyamorous relationships as to like how you distribute property, how you distribute wealth, how, who who's in your will, things like that. What's with swingers because you're not developing an intimacy, an intimate relationship. It's it's not really a concern, but for polyamorous relationships, it could be. And so, even if you're a swinger, I think these chapters are interesting and, and could be relevant oh, if you're like we said, if your lifestyle changes. So I guess that gets me into some of the questions, the final questions that I had. Although I think we already both know what we'd say, but is the book worth a buy? Yes, I completely think it is. I I do, and we bought it on Amazon. Um, the cover price on the back of the book is, <laughs> God, I don't even see it here. I don't know. It's, it's not expensive. I mean, no, it's, it's like 20 I, bucks. Probably 15, $20 on Amazon. Yeah. But so do we think it has value for new individuals considering non-monogamy all the way through individuals who have been practicing full on quad triad polyamory for 20 years are there is there something for everybody who's practicing i I think if you've been in the lifestyle for 20 years then most of this stuff we've probably already thought about and worked through i really honestly do if you've got that much experience i think you do if you've been in lifestyle for three five years maybe even 10 but you've been in and out of it or you've had jealousy issues i think there's things that you can pick up from this book Mm -hmm. but it really is a uh Open relationships, non-monogamous relationships 101. If you're not open to things other than swinging and you don't want to learn about those things or you you have no interest in them, then the book's not for you. Well, yes, but I also – and I I agree with you. But I don't think you should be that close-minded. I I think you should be more open. Oh, I agree. But I also think that there's there's a lot of good information about just – connecting with your partner just in general like mm-hmm. connecting and dealing with what however you and you the individuals who are who make up be a, a spouse or any anybody who makes up your the people who you're non-monogamous with mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot of information that maybe you know if you've been if if you've had a poly relationship for 20 years you know everything maybe it's time to relearn some of these things or yeah. relearn and and rethink about your communication. So yep. I do think there is something for those individuals, but I recognize that there is gonna they're gonna take away take away much take away less. less. Yeah, they could probably write their yep. own book. And, that... and as far as like I mean, we said this before, if you're if you're currently monogamous, looking to get into non monogamy, I think the book could be for you. But I wouldn't read it all at once. I would take my time with it and work through it and start to become non-monogamous and then read some more and then work through mm-hmm. it you know i would read it in bits and snippets because otherwise i think you'll your head will explode and the other thing that isn't really it's just not really a reflection on on the book i get or um but it's just it's interesting that i still think how we say that we're we with this is kind of in relation to the coming out chapter but we it's interesting how society has made us worry about even what we leave relying on our house because we with it's with true. regards to this book we would not want to leave this book lying around and part of me feels bad about that that we can't even have a that we wouldn't even feel comfortable with our family members seeing that we're they were open enough about... opening open enough to read a book on open relationships because yeah and i well, even though part I of it's the reaction of my own family because 
they are the type of, pe- type of people to jump to conclusions. They're not the kind of – like, you and I, we but could see that book. It would be the correct conclusion. It would be. But, like, like if I saw a book like that at a friend's, I would think, huh, I wonder they, – they, they, it's it's one of two things. Either they're already in their relationship or they're considering it or they're in well, – I guess three things. Or it's just something they're interested in. Yeah. My family would jump to the conclusion that we are, like, hedonistic fools fucking everybody. It does kind of suck, though. Even though I said that I'm not worried about coming out, I don't – with our way, the way our relationship is – that I don't feel it's even at a level where it needs to be, or we need to come out about it. Mm-hmm. It does kind of suck that we have to hide just the, just a book that we're reading. That it's a well written yeah. book written How by. We have a front of a different podcast so that we can hide our podcast too. I mean, we had a, you know, we, well, that's true. we, we have that's... a fake podcast. Well, no, it's a the it's not fake, but it's it's, it's dead in the it, water. <laughs> it isn't a priority, and we've yeah. lost. We, we we haven't had the time to maintain it the way that we'd like to. But it is a front. I mean, we can still use it as an, you know, even though it's not fake, it's it's not the priority for the podcast. And so I, but I, I don't know how how I would resolve that because I. I say I don't need to come out, but it does. I mean, I guess you just be content. It's just a consequence of not you're just coming con- out. You're just content hiding it, but that does suck that you. That well, I think it sucks that we don't have enough uh, that that our families are that close minded to not even be open to the idea of us being open to the idea of an open relationship. Yeah, you know, because because that's the thing is it gets back to like you and I are 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 very progressive and liberal, but our families are both very conservative. Because even. Unlike Sex is Fun, which we, we, we reviewed, I don't remember what episode it was, but we, we reviewed the mm-hmm. Sex is Fun, um, Creative Sex for, shoot, what's the subtitle? Creative Sex for Something Individuals. It's 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 kind of a how-to sex book that's very fun. It's, it's, it's drawn in a sequential art comic book form, and that I recognize, that that, that just has some filthy... And funny imagery. Oh my you know, god! Yeah, it's there's, very explosive. There's, there's like ex- there's explosive cocks all over the place in that. So thing. I don't think that that's appropriate just to leave out. Just the way I wouldn't leave out. Yeah, but ex- if somebody saw that, I'd be a lot more comfortable with it than if they saw opening up, which that, is just a normal. That book. is like, funny. I hadn't thought about that, but I, I which would I rather somebody see? It would be the the sexist, the hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Me but too. Even though this is uh, this is a professional book that has you know citations it's a real legitimate book that yeah uh, somebody took all it's, i mean i'm I, not it to, all just comes down to the not to take away that people like, i don't want to take away you. from sex is fun sex is fun is a, is an excellent book as well um but this book is a book that could be a textbook in a in a college i mean i guess sex is fun too could too but it, it just sucks that this is the book that i would be more ashamed to hide so i mean i just wanted to sort of just touch yeah, on that, I, that i i agree with you and i and i think that if if our families were a little bit more liberal and wouldn't jump to conclusions the the, the exact conclusions we're trying to hide by the way then, <laughs> yeah. then i'd be okay with it but they're they're not it's unfortunately like our families are very much ingrained in the societal norm i mean yeah i i there's i, I don't even want to get on the topic of of you know, just even gay marriage is something that's you know our families are oh, yeah, we, struggling with. Yeah, so it's, it's touchy. So I just wanted to bring that up that it's how ironic that it is. Of, we were open yeah. individuals and we're very sexually open, and but we couldn't even leave opening up. Yeah, it's <laughs> laying true. around our house. It's unfortunate. So so, but it is an excellent book. We highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, and. And I don't think we've talked about it so much to have ruined the book for you. Like, honestly, we've we've gone through what it's about, but there's there's enough content in it that listening to this podcast will not spoil the book for you. You'll enjoy the book. Yeah. So with that, I guess we'll wrap up. If any of you have any recommendations for any other books that you think would be 
very cool for us to check out. Uh, review for the show, not review for the show, just read yeah. it, just read for on our mm-hmm. own. Let us know. And not just books, but you know, games, toys, anything. We're 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 up for any kind of content that you think might be interesting or that you'd like to hear our opinions about. Mm-hmm. So, all right, JB, why don't you take us home? All right, so you can reach us at swingingaround at gmail.com. No G at the end of swinging. We'd love to hear your feedback, like we were just saying. You can follow us on Twitter, which is just swinging around. No G at the end of swinging. Our website is now swingingaround.com. No G at the end of swinging. Um, for now, it's going to link you back to swinging-blogspot.com uh, until we get a new website up and running. And you can also go on iTunes and Stitcher and rate us. We'd love to get some feedback and some comments there. Mm-hmm. Did you mention Facebook? I didn't mention Facebook. I, I dazed off for a moment while you were <laughs> while you were wrapping we, we, us up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we do have a fan page now on Facebook as well. You can find us. So we're just swinging around. Uh, no G at the end of swinging. So you can go ahead on there and and uh, become active. Talk to some other swinging around listeners. Uh, leave some comments and uh, feedback, or just like us on Facebook. Whatever you want to do, but we are there too. And uh, all of our shows. You know, any, anything we post, you you can find it in the Facebook timeline, too. So if, if you use Facebook to keep up to date with stuff, you'll know when we update our, our shows through there, too. Mm-hmm. All right. With that, everybody, stay sexy and stay swinging. <laughs>